0: session three of ten. In addition to those in the chat room, we have many, many enjoying it by video and uh, podcast after. And um, we'll, we're going to jump right in here. So thank you for joining us.
1: And thank you so much. Shalom Aleichem. And there's it's snowing in Jerusalem. Yes, the last two days, great. the major news item has been, will, the, will it snow? And now it's actually... Nighttime, and it looks like, yeah, it's, it's, it, we could actually have a white, a white Adar, which the yeah. last time was like five or six years ago. So everybody is really excited. And it's, it's, a, it's a, it's sort of a. Oi, shalom aleichem everybody. Thank you so much for being part of this circle, especially given the crazy, crazy time the world is experiencing and all of us as part of it. So if we could just say a quick circle of hello and our names and where we are, and then we'll enter
0: into the text. Great, for the, for the ease of this, I will just call on folks. This is Shmuley, this is I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, 75 degrees. Hi, Lauren Blatt. Hi, Lauren in Toronto.
2: Something like minus 16 degrees, wind chill, but that's centigrade.
0: Great. Hi, Rabbi Uter. If you can unmute yourself. You're still on mute over there. Let's come back to Rabbi Uter after he unmutes. Yehuda, where are you?
2: Hi, I'm Yuder and I'm in Phoenix and it's about 75 here too. <laughs> uh, okay, Reb Nachum. I'm in Manhattan and um, tucked away in my apartment where it's nice and cozy.
0: Very nice, excellent. Eddie, how about you?
2: Uh, hi y'all, uh, I'm in Phoenix, and um, we're having our Phoenix winter, so it's like in its 70s, so it's chilly for us, but Great. wonderful for everybody else.
0: Awesome, Rabbi Uter, were you able to figure out the unmute over there? Okay, uh, he's having some tech difficulty, so I will. Right. This is Rabbi Dr. Alan Uter, he is in Jerusalem, enjoying the snow, and this evening in in Yerushalayim. So so thank you Rabbi Yudah for being with us also.
1: All right, folks. So erv tov me'od and thank you so much. And um, I want to find the, the first text I actually wanna share with you And can you, uh, hold on?
2: Is, copy.
1: Wanna just, I want to first put into the chat room a series of links that are my links and also the links to the uh, if you're only going to get two books on rough cook these are the two books and links to my writings and and work with rough cook and and my email and so forth and so I'm I'm happy to communicate and so those links are there for people to take home as it were. And what I'd like to do is that everybody can hear me okay and see me okay. All right, so I'm going to bring up the text that is going to be our uh, text for today, and I wanna do one more thing here. Okay. So the people around rough Cook At a certain point, and I'm trying to think when is the earliest but it would have been when Rav Cook was in Israel, the people around him came to the understanding and this developed as they spent more time with Rav Cook and then in the 1920s in Jerusalem and so forth, they came to the conclusion that Rav Cook is experiencing ruach hakodesh, nevuah. You know, he's in those realms, and the Torah that he's sharing is 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 sourced in those realms, and. I'd like to start with a poem that Ruff Cook presents his prophetic vision. U me olam rachok male ne guhot shmashot sham rechavot kayam vekochavim ke or shimshenu apne rakia evin sapir sham. From a distant world full of illuminations, the suns there are as broad as the ocean, the stars like the light of our sun on the face of the sapphire stone. There. Besorot liyagiyu, kitlalim leim tzuf panag, nihaluni leeden sham haoneg. All the faces there are joyful, every mouth is singing songs of praise, the highest feelings fill each heart and all our legs are dancing in jubilation. The past and the present, the past and the future are scrolled into one. Nothing is hidden, everything is known, every soul is full of love for all. Feelings for the multitudes, and the light is sown. All the pasts flow like rivers, illumination, strength, Purity, illumination, strength, and light, life renewed, freedom, and liberation fills all our thoughts and activities. Uveen Moe, U Madrich, Shofet Vassar, Akol Tov, Akol Bahir, En Ivut, Enikum, Akol Yashar without teachers, guides, judges, or politicians. Everything is good. Everything is clear. There's no crookedness. There's no corruption. Everything is with integrity. And the night shines like the day. To a world such as this, my soul longs. In life such as this, my spirit soars. To a world such as this, my soul longs. from the poetry of Avraham Yitzchak a Cohen Cook. Okay, so. What I'd like to share with you is one of his earliest, well, one of his most remarkable Nivot. Uh, it it so turns out. Rav Kook showed up in Yafo in 1904 and he began to, he continued, he continued to write in his notebooks, but the eight notebooks that he wrote for beginning in the Yafo period until 1919 are the, the major body of his thought, out of which his main student, Rava Nazir, we talk about him before and after, later, um, brought forth or wrote a Kodesh and, and brought that into the world. Uh, but the raw writings, this is um, a piece that he wrote in notebook Aleph, entry 186. The estimation can be, and it was also then published in Sefer Orot on that page, but that publication didn't, wasn't published till 19, the early 1950s. This was never seen, this, this, um, this piece, until it came out in the 1950s. Rough Cook, though, around 1910 wrote the following. The nation is not the happiest level, is not the highest happiness, the highest level of happiness for a human being. It's, It's not about the nation this we can certainly say about a regular nation. That doesn't rise up to a measure or a value that's much, that's greater than a, a one big, huge, insurance society most nations are mutual insurance pacts we're all you know we'll all take care of each other and 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 make sure that we have what we need and all the implications of that it's a mutual insurance pact for our survival and well-being as well as, I guess, sense of identity. I'm uh, this, I'm a uh, that. But in this situation, which most nations are just basically, you know, economic, uh, economic, military uh, structures. This means that this is, they leave out many ideas, ideals with an L, that these ideals that are the crown of humankind, well, the nation has nothing to do with it. These ideas fly way above the heads of all those nations. That's not what they're about. They don't touch it. They're just about their mutual, you know, power and wealth. So that's certainly the the state of 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 nationalism in the world and how nations are and that's not the highest osher for a human being that's not the highest level of happiness he continues (laughs) which is not the situation if you have a nation whose foundation is ideal idealistic that there is already embedded in its very being the highest the the highest idealistic level which also makes it the highest happiness for a person to be involved in the, in the highest ideal. So every individual. So a nation like that, Medina Zoo, a nation like that, this is truly the highest rung in the rung of happiness. The Zu, he, Medinatenu Medinat Israel This nation is our nation Medinat Israel This is the first time in human history that the words Medinat Israel were put together Israel has never ever been called a medina We have the phrase Knesset Israel. Herzl talked about Medinat Ayehudim and so forth. In 1948, when Ben Gurion and, and the gang, they were furiously writing Megillat Atzmaut and wondering what are we going to call this? And they went, Zion, Herzlia. Uh, Yehuda. So I don't know if there was, I think those were the main choices. Ben Gurion said, We're going to call it Medinat Israel. And that's what got written into Migilat Smaut. Medinazu, he Medinatenu, Medinat Israel. Yesod, Chisei Hashem Be'olam. The foundation of God's presence in the world, shekol that its entire desire of Medinat Israel, who echad, that God will be one in his name one, This is truly the, the highest level. Of happiness. This is the first time I'm repeating that the words Medinat Israel were uttered in history. And um, Baruch Hashem, I'm broadcasting from Medinat Israel. This nation is our nation, Medinat Israel, the state of Israel the foundation of God's throne in the world, his entire desires, God will be one, his name will be one, Zechariah. And that is truly the highest happiness. And he ended it by saying, It's true. To get to this level, it needs a long process of clarification to bring up this light, especially in days of darkness, given, right? He's, he wrote this in 1910. But even though it is very long and difficult challenge to bring this light out, that it still is, in every case, it is the it is the highest level of happiness. To be able to create a nation state that whose entire desire is Hashem echad ushmo echad, and that nation state will be called Medinat Israel. So.
0: Rav Yitzhak. Yes. First of all, this is totally astounding and totally um, uh, incredible. To think about that history, and, and that's a huge kiddish. I've never heard anybody say that he was the first one to say this phrase. So that's that's really huge. And I wonder, um, and it's really just powerful to think of that dream. Like you think of building a family, building a shul, you of building like a Jewish state. It's like such what an aspirational dream. So um so my question is um, when did he think we should call it a Medina. When did he think we should establish a state, right? So you got, the, you got the Haredim who say when Mashiach comes, right? Then you have those who say war of independence or United Nations. When did he want to form a state? If we had
1: followed his advice, which was that as soon as World War I ended, to oh. get as many people, as, as, as many Jews here as fast as possible, he understood that the British, because he was there in London when the Mandate Balfour Declaration was put in. I told you the story last week, didn't I? He was the 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 moving force to bring the Balfour Declaration into history. Did I ever tell you this story or not? I don't think so. No, I have to. I'll show you the document. I'll show that'll be another for another day, because. Um, I, I will read you the letter he wrote, but he wrote a letter that was published in London and all the synagogues and read in all the synagogues in uh, June 1917, and that letter had the impact that it changed the minds of, of the, of the uh, British Parliament against, the, they had just heard from the Rothschilds and the Montefiores, who by that time were... Were um, secular, like they were. Commi- they didn't want the state of Israel, and so they put down the Zionists in in the British Parliament. And the British Parliament, the idea then sort of dropped because if that's what you know the Rothschilds say. And then Raff Cook stepped forth. He was in London at that time. He wrote a letter that was read in every single synagogue. And um, that letter was then read in, it had huge impact. So next week, I'll bring that letter, a selection from it. Just, it's an amazing, amazing document. And um, he understood, and then once World War I ended and the British then got control of this, he understood that if a large number of Jews were to come here, the British would carry out the Balfour Declaration and and create the give us the control of this area. At that time, it was both sides of the Jordan. This was even before the British had, you know, seceded it to the Hussein, the Humane, what's his name, Hussein family. That would have been what could have happened had a few hundred thousand Jews been here by 1921 or 1922. And the state of Israel would have been declared then. And, the Holocaust would not have happened. Unfortunately, Rav Kook went to, England, went to Europe in August 1914 to address the rabbis of Europe and to tell them that they have to send all their people to Israel. And that's why he went, he went to the Agudat Israel conference And that meeting never happened because on tisha of august 1914 world war one broke out and so raf cook never had a chance to speak to all the rabbis of europe and russia and um and that's what he was going to tell them and of course they were the ones who carried they had the heat to zionism he was going to change their minds about the heat not to zionism so that would have been that's the way Rav Cook was trying to move history it didn't quite succeed but in 1948 which was also in 19 because the Vilna Gaon said that um, when we have 600,000 Jews here will we'll be will will that the Gaula will come so we would have had 600,000 Jews by 1925 the, we would have had Israel already, and uh, Mufti would have had no power, and we would have had, I mean, who even knows, harabait would be a completely different situation. So um, that's my answer to that. With your permission, we'll go back to the uh, structure, because we're looking at the, today, the structural schemata of the five foundational principles in Rav Kook's Torah that his main student, the Rav his main student, the Rav outlines, as everybody knows, because we explained this last week and before. But last week, I want to conclude with the last piece of it, because the last week's one was um ha, ha achdut. No, hold on, sorry. Was that Everything, the first one was a Kodesh HaKlali, that everything is holy. The second one was a Chayuta Olamit, that everything is alive. And that was the one we did last week. And I just want to take us to the last entry in that section, in which he talks about well, if everything is alive, how come there's death in the world? So at the beginning of the, of the entry that's called, and it's entry number Membet, um, 42, the, the number of entries that the Nazir put or wrote a Kodesh in are Kabbalistic. A number of them are 32 entries, a number of them are 42 entries which have to do with names of God and the 32 nativot of, of Sefer Yetzirah, so it's, it's following a structure, so entry number forty-two is called Chaim Adolam, Life Forever, and we're just going to read the beginning of it and the end of it. It starts like this: Hamavet ba b'ekev achet. Um, death came as a result of the sin. Adam and Eve they ate the fruit. Now death came in because we needed a way to overcome evil. Evil had to be killed. Once the Evil came into the world, death needed to come as a consequence so that we could stop evil. Or they they would die off, die old, but still die. Kadmon, if not for the first wrongdoing, if we hadn't followed our 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 like our or animalistic taivas then the spiritual sensibility sense would have shined on us with all its light. We don't begin human history from when the actual revealed human form that came forth nefila that came after a deep falling, that is, after we you know left left the Garden of Eden. That's not when we begin our history. We begin our history in our in the in our Edenic state. The foundation of reality began. In humans, in our highest level of existence. When we are illuminated with a spiritual light that is really in, in harmony with, with our essential soul, with, the, the, with our being. And then at the end of it, he ends like this ha mumhu mum death is a blemish in creation Israel no'ad la'aviro Israel is destined to remove it kharpat am hu it is a disgrace to us that death exists it means that you know evil exists and we're here to get rid of evil vekharpat am yasir mi'al kol And the the disgrace to God's people will be removed from all the earth, ki Hashem diber, as God has spoken. So that's why he said, this is our destiny, our work, is to bring the world back to the Edenic to bring it future into its Edenic future, in which death will not necessarily be part of the required, will have, we'll have done the tikkun on the, on the chet that brought us, brought death into being, because everything can you do tshuva on. So that's the last piece, okay? So now with your permission, I'd like to go into Yisod three, the third principle. And the third principle, the Nazir entitled Hahdut Elohita Kolelet, the uh, all inclusive Godly Oneness. Ha'achdut ha'elohit akolelet the all-inclusive godly oneness. And, um, and then he begins with a section, he quotes from, a, and I'm just going to read the English here for, for the sake of time, but he quotes a, a, a quote from the Zohar to begin it, more sealed than all the sealed, separate and separated from everything and not separate, Everything cleaves to him, he cleaves to all, he is all, he is one, all is one. Thus all the other flames are connected and returned to the one and are in fact one. So that's a statement in the Idrezuta. And then Rav Cook, <clears throat> and I'm just going to categorize here, but then he sets up the section of Rav Cook here with two categories. Ha'achduta kolele Elohit. The godly divine universal all-inclusive oneness, and then olamit, <laughs> the oneness of the world. So there's the realm of the divine oneness of all, and then there's the the ahduta olamit, <laughs> the, the oneness in this world. That um, here it's important, he's what it says, that the historical, the oneness of the entire historical process. Ha'enoshit, the the oneness of the entire humankind's historical process, which is what shemegamata the perfection, the improvement, the perfection of uh, the. The, 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 com- the complete infusion of the spiritual, the perfection of the physical through the spiritual. It's, 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 it's creating the complete fusion of the world, ruchani and chomri. That's the oneness that we're involved in here as being in this experience of achduta olamit. And this comes from unification of will and thought and, and so on. Okay, so that's Rough Cook's super. So now I want to read a few pieces just from Rough Cook, and I'll do it really fast. I'll try, but uh, there's a few important pieces here. So Question. if so to save time, I'll I'll go into English. I'll try to do to, to things. But he says like this call
2: begins, please. So the So I had asked like a session or two ago about the connection between Ruff Cook and panentheism. Um, So it would seem to me modestly that that which you just underscored by speaking about the, the fusion of the physical world with the spiritual world bespeaks some of that construct. Um, and, you know, if, if there is an article, you know, yeah, that I, you I, suggest I, yeah. that I read, I'd love to, to better All understand right. that principle.
1: I, so, but if I was to summarize, what I would, would say is that Rav is the fusion of sovev kol olamim and memale kol olamim. So the, that which encompasses all the world, that which fills all the world. So it's, it's both of those simultaneously. But here, and that's what is, is also speaking about that here. But, um, and this is very interesting that, that all existence is included in one point because I couldn't help but look it up. Oh, where is it too bad, Here. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I think I found a quote in the science because the the basic point of physics is that everything is started off as one infinitely hot dense point that exploded and that's where all existence was included in it. So Ruff Cook begins by saying all of existence is included in one point the entire, all the size that we imagine, all the multiplicity, all the distance, it's all relative in relation to our small partiality that we're in a immature, from an immature perspective, we only see the small, but we have to understand that the huge, the broad, the high, the deep, the elevated, the shining, the fruitful, the flowing, everything that brings forth songs and, and, and so all that, everything, is in truth one gleaming point, a point of existence, a drop of the divine spark. the final purpose of the entirety of all existence is the revelation of the light of God in its elevated high bliss in such a unity that there is not one spark of life whose essential being, it doesn't rise to this, this high level of union. And then he goes on, I want to skip forth. And but then he says, brings in, but in order to bring this about, we had to at the beginning, existence needed in the beginning to separate into uh, its smallest parts. And great breakages have to occur in order to separate all the points. So it's the entire Kabbalistic construct he's speaking of here. And he says, but after we polish and refine everything and every point of everything, then we bring the, the, the existence to the level where everything then a kol or Hashem everything is filled with the light of God in God's presence, and we, we affect effect uh, this extraordinary unification. And how do we do it? We do it. What's the only prayer that we we have to say, morning and night, the Shema, Shema Hashem Elokeinu, Echad, Hashem Echad, the calling out in the name of one God is aspires to show the unity in the world among humankind, among the nations in the entire content of existence with no dichotomy, no separation between action and theory between reason and imagination. That's what we're calling out, is the, we're, the, the unity of the world, all humankind, all nations in the entire content of existence. That's what the Shema is calling us to, to call forth. And the more the world progresses and comes to its wholeness, all the portions will unite. And here he uses, and the organic nature of existence will become obvious. And the highest level of unification, adam ve is the unification of the human and their will, our free will, the power of our will, im hayakum, with all existence, bichalagu in, pratav, in all gen, in its generalities and its particularity. When we can unite in such a state that our will becomes then a, a, a dominant force in existence in that level of, of, of unity. So what do, how do we do that? Here, This is the, the most important piece today is this piece. So what does that mean that the impli- that everything is on that level is, is one? That means <inaudible> the piece that the Nazir calls, Ahavat olam, the love for the world, universal love. min haklalut Great souls cannot, and this I really want to dedicate to everything that Rabbi Shmuley and, and all your holy friends are doing, because, well, you'll see. Um, Great souls can't dissociate themselves from the most universal concerns. All their desires and aspirations is for the universal good, good in all its comprehensiveness the universal good, universal in its full width, height, and depth. But we have to understand the entire, the whole, is constituted of numberless particulars and particular individuals, particular communities, small and or large. Ahavaya, avat avaya kula memal et leva tuvim a love for all existence fills the heart of the good and kindly ones. And therefore, and here's the punchline, Meshukei ahava halalu ro'im ha'olam Love-possessed people, when we see the world, the living world, full of creatures, full of quarrels, hatreds, persecutions and conflicts we yearn with all our being to share in those aspirations that move life to comprehensiveness unity peace and tranquility we feel and we know that the nearness of God for which we yearn can only lead us to joining ourselves with all and for the sake of all and so when we confront the human scene, and we find divisions among nations, religions, parties, goals and conflict, we must endeavor with all our being to bring everything together to mend and unite. We feel that individuals need to be enhanced, that the best of societies must rise to greater heights, and. Everything has to enter into the light of a universal life. We want that every particular shall be preserved and developed, the Haklal Kulo and the collective whole, shalom, united, abounding in peace. And when, and here's the here he finishes, Baim el-Amam, when we come to our own people, and here he's speaking within our own community, communities, happiness, continuity, and perfection, we feel committed in all the depths of our being, and we find our community splintered, broken into parties and parties, we cannot identify with any particular party we want to unite with the entire nation with the entire people dafka in its entirety the and all its fullness and good so I want to bless us that we really participate in the universal fixing a cloud so that the united one existence will be united and male shalom and completely completely filled with shalom as god's desire is for us and so that's why i want to bless you rabbi (laughs) all the holy universal work you're doing in in you know and you're really from what you know so you know what i mean so Thank you so much, okay. folks, for your attention. And if any questions, comments, please.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, okay, beautiful friends. Let's take some questions.
2: How much is Rav Cook's teachings available? I mean, hearing what you're saying, it should be mandatory in in every school everywhere, but especially in in Israel. Is is Rav Cook? Taught widely um, among the
1: datilumi uh, shivot. Datilumi shivot, yes. Um, though I don't know at what age they start reading, learning it seriously. They might not do it till there. But but Rav Cook is everywhere. Um, the curriculum of it is the focus, as far as I know, in Israel is probably in his Sefer Orot. Because Orot was the book that Tzvi Yehuda put together and now became the the, the, the Divine Manifesto, as it were, because it was published in 1921. And it's the focus there is on, on Eretz Israel and, and it's the universal, result, but it's it's through the lens of, of Israel. Um, the universal parts, there are people who are interested, who are learning it, that it, it, it follows people's interests. Those people that are inclined to that, that's their research, reading it and writing about it. There's a, there's a huge, there's more books being written about Ruff Cook now than there ever was. There's more PhDs, there's more everything. It's, and more of his writings, his notebooks that he wrote in various times that were never seen until were only recently published and This I want to tell you, every day we have a reading circle where we're going through his Guide to the Perplexed. This book only came out five years ago. He wrote this in 1902. He knew he was coming to Israel, and he wrote this, and it's his longest single book. It's like 56 chapters. We've been reading it for the past half year, so we're in the uh, chapter 30s. But you can join us. It's every day um, at 7 o'clock. Eight, seven o'clock Jerusalem time one hour earlier than this if you want we do it in Hebrew English and um, and this is really in my mind his most revolutionary book it's 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 mind-blowing and I'll tell you we'll, we'll read a section from it at some point and I'll show you what I mean and I also have to thank you based I got the uh, legends of Rabba bar Barhana the pizza naor uh, heir of Shabbos, and, and it's it's my Shabbos reading now and then we'll do a part of it. I will bring some of the text. It's really, uh, it, it's very, uh, it's, it's quite, it's amazing stuff. Um, so yeah, so I'm rough. So Ruff Cook is, it, it, he's getting more and more and more known about it's, you know and I'm sure in 50 years that, that uh, he'll be even more known about. He's still ahead of his time. You're, you're muted, by the way. You don't know if you need to be muted, but, um, but he's still ahead of his time. And, and, but in Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv has this universal Israeli consciousness. And so I'm waiting for in to, to Tel Aviv to discover Rav Cook, and I'm trying to participate in that activity.
2: That would but be I a also unification think... of, of Yerushalayim in Tel Aviv, right? That would be like awesome.
1: Tel Aviv was Rav Cook's favorite city, he, he, he sort of, mm-hmm. um, um, Rav Cook shows up in Nevet Tzedek, which is the north part of Yafo, a little thing there, and that's where he lives in 1904. In 1909, they started, he sent, Mayor, Mayor Dizengoff came to him. Mayor Dizengoff came to Israel around 1907, 1906, because he was going to make a, a glass factory in the north. And uh, the glass sand wasn't appropriate. He couldn't, it didn't work. He came to Rav Kook and Rav Kook told the mayor, go build a city. And he sent him to the families that were at that moment creating the project of Tel Aviv, the, the nine families, and Mayor Dissendorf took over the project and, and at Rav Cook's direction. And Rav Cook said of all the honorifics he ever, he ever got uh, behind like being a coin and his mother's son, he got the honorary citizenship to Tel Aviv in, in the 1929 or something. So um, Rav Cook was, uh, he loved Tel Aviv. And he was also very close to, to Bialik, who was the cultural leader of Tel Aviv. So he was very much part of that.
0: Uh, I, uh, Rabbi Yudor, are you about to ask a question? Oh, he's on mute still, he's on mute still. Yeah, his, his unmute's not working. Maybe you wanna type it, can you type your question in? Okay, or email it to us, sorry. Okay, while, while we're waiting, for, oh, there he is, there he is.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: You spoke several times today about Ratzon, Will. That sounds a little bit like Schopenhauer. Was there a connection? Um, Well, I don't know enough about Schopenhauer to answer that question. I I do know, however, that um, Ratzon is a huge, huge, huge part of of the, the metaphysical framework that Rav Korka talks about. In Orota Kodesh, there are numerous essays about Ratzon. The basic punchline being is that we are free-willed beings where Ratzon is the dynamic force that moves us, but we have the capacity to direct our will to do whatever, to to impact the world. And so that's, and and it really builds on that. Thank I you. don't
0: know enough about Schopenhauer, though. Um, I I have a question. Um, since we started talking about the ideals of the foundation of Medina Israel, and I know this is a a twenty hour question, but uh, briefly, uh, what role did um, what role did Rav Cook think Halakha should have as governing governing the society? I think he he thought that
1: we can and we need to create an Israelite uh, construct, which would not necessarily be based on the European model of nation state or others. It would be a uniquely Israel construct that the Torah would be, found. that would be its constitution. And I think he understood though, that it was the work of the the rabbis to be able to, to do it in, a, in an operational way that, uh, that really brought the Torah to Israel into the Medina. And he has a piece where he actually says, you know, figuring out halacha for the individual is easy. Figuring out for the, for the nation state, that's hard. And he, he said, he called for a leadership that could do that. It, it didn't happen and um, but I think that he was, he could have, you know, he would have led us into a fusion of, of, of because he was also in this, in this book, he speaks about, if you wanna hear the, mo- I'll tell you the most radical punchline of this book. He describes the historical conditions by which um, we can have a Sanhedrin set up in which any citizen of Israel will come to it and offer a a, a question or a, a thought of this. This is seems to be this halacha. Seems to be what the Torah is saying. If it is consistent and in in halachically acceptable, even if it disagrees with the Mishnah, it will become the halacha. He speaks about a complete reworking of halakha to Israel. He says, we locked halakha for the exile. Israel is the opening. And that we, it'll be an interesting process.
0: Okay, this might be a good place to pause. very rich as always. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi Yitzchak, for this wonderful presentation. Can't wait to see everyone next week. Have a great night in Israel, Rabbi Yudir, Rabbi Yitzchak. And and
1: next week we'll also do Purim. It'll be Erev Erev Purim. So we'll do we'll do a a nice Purim thing.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Great. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you very much. And please
1: feel free to email me for any further discussion. Thank you so much.